0: into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Mike is the CEO of Norhart and he is transforming the way apartments are built and managed by incorporating technologies and efficiencies that have already transformed other industries. In the interview, Mike, reveals groundbreaking strategies for transforming the way we build and live. He dismantles traditional norms, integrating design, architecture, and engineering under one roof. He values his family as the core of his life. And Mike's passion for learning, combined with his commitment, positions him to revolutionize construction and to shape our future homes and lives. Welcome, Mike, to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here with me today and I can't take my eyes off the wonderful office behind you, but why don't you start by sharing a little bit about who you are and what do you do? Yeah. So I'm Mike and I'm the CEO of
1: Norhart. We design, build and rent apartments, but we're really focused on driving down the cost of construction. We're already achieving about a 20% reduction in cost. We believe that over time we can achieve a 50% reduction. But imagine what that means. Someday your rent could be half or your mortgage payment could be half. And that's what we're really trying to solve is to solve the housing affordability crisis that we at least see here in the United States and I know in other parts of the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed. I think that must be some quite some innovative stuff.
1: Yeah, it's there's a there's so much to it. It's a whole. Yeah, if you look at the world of construction versus other industries, for example, uh, manufacturing has improved labor productivity by seven hundred and sixty percent over the past sixty years. Hmm. Agriculture has improved it by fifteen hundred percent, but the world of construction has done virtually nothing. It's remained at simply ten percent, which is terrible, right? So at its core, all we're doing is we're applying the technologies and techniques of these other industries into the world Mm. of construction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And before we go into that, can you share a bit of your backstory and how you got into where you're today?
1: Yeah. My parents originally started the business very small at the time. In fact, at one point we lost everything and my dad was even kidnapped in Peru. Pretty crazy. But we clawed our way out of that. And I remember growing up, going on site and building these buildings with my parents. And eventually I went off to college. It was pretty small, but I went off to college and I wanted nothing to do with the family business. My dad wanted me to join it. And I really wrestled with that because I didn't want people to think it was given to me. So I struggled with my own ego, but eventually got past that, realizing that deep down, I wanted to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact on the world. And I realized we could take this small business and grow it into something that could have that kind of impact. So I jumped in and my dad and I worked together for the first couple of years. And then my dad unexpectedly passed away. Overnight, overnight, I lost my dad. And as terrible as that is, I try to look for the positives in all the moments, even the tough ones. And then the magic that happened there is that I didn't know much about the industry, if I'm really honest. I didn't mm-hmm. know the way things were supposed to be done. And we could start questioning things, start changing things. And then through uh, over the next few years, over the next decade, really, we started changing how this industry is run. And as a result, now we're seeing those cost savings. Yeah. Thank
0: you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. But I want to focus on what you shared earlier. How did it went from becoming a choice that you did and not wanted to make and then to a choice that you actually made by your own way. So can you share that journey of overcoming, maybe as you mentioned, that ego? Yeah, I,
1: it was a struggle. I went after college focused on finance and computer science and computer graphics and a number of other things. I had a number of jobs as well during that time period. And I remember one day sitting down with my dad and saying, the real estate business, it's just too easy, too uh-huh. simple. Like, I want to do something more innovative and changing the world and that sort of thing. And I didn't know it at the time, but that hurt my dad. And I've learned since it's not a simple business. It's actually incredibly challenging to execute well. But I think there was a year there I really was struggling trying to figure out what is it that I really want to do. And I think deep down, I knew that I wanted to make an, a positive impact. So I started looking at all the different avenues and eventually I became a little bit pragmatic about it which is I could go out and start a new business, but I'm really starting from scratch. Then I could go out and get an an MBA. I was looking at Stanford and Yale at the time. Or I could take this small business. It was pretty small, but the small business as a starting point and then scale that up to have that kind of impact. And, And I realized if my dream is really about making the largest positive impact that I can, that this path I'm focusing on what my parents had started was the best way, at least for me, to work to achieve that.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And now coming to coming back to your innovation, I have, I'm sure you have added your own unique flavor to, to the construction business. Can you share a bit more on some of those innovations? So what is your vision going forward? Yeah.
1: One of the big issues in construction is that you've got dozens of different companies that come together to work on any one project, and then they all go away after that. If a construction company were to produce cars, You'd have a different company installing the windshield, a different company installing the door and a different company installing the wheel. And then, of course, you know, the wheel company, they would call you up and say, hey, I got delayed on another project. I can't get out there for a couple of weeks. You'd be shut down, which is terrible. And when they did come out, they would be irate because they could only work on one car at a time. They want an entire floor of cars to work on. And so one of the first things we did was bring all that work in house, which is a huge challenge. But after we achieve that vertical integration, now we can start applying techniques you really don't see in construction. One of those techniques is the assembly line. So simple, right? but it revolutionized manufacturing. But how the heck can you take a building and drive it down a line? You can't, it's too large. But what you can do is you, instead of driving the product down the line, you can take the person and move them through the building. Huh. So, right now, every five hours, each team shifts through the building by one unit or more or less one unit. And if you look at the end of our building, every five hours, we have another brand new apartment unit being completed. So, you can look hmm. at one of our larger buildings, and on one end, it's literally dirt, there is no foundation. On the other end, we have fully complete apartment units. And just that one technique can drive a project that might be 15 months down to nine months.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, But I want to add this to what you shared earlier, right? You're stepping into your father's shoes and now you're trying to do something innovative. How did like the people or even the employees from a traditional industry responded to that and especially responded to you stepping into your father's shoes? How And how was that experience for you?
1: I've always had a sense of imposter syndrome and, a, and there, at least younger, I always was afraid that people would just think this is given to me. So I really did not mm-hmm. wrestle with that. And early on, I certainly did not look like a traditional construction guy. I came from a world of technology and the team would often joke about, oh, there's Mike again, right? But I think one thing that was useful for us, again, is it was really quite small. There was maybe only four to eight people on the construction team at the time. And so we've grown that now to 250. So a big growth there. But because it was small, we could grow the right team that Mm -hmm. felt right for who we were and the culture we were creating. We didn't always get that. I think the number one biggest and most important lesson that I've ever learned is that you need to hire the best people. And before learning that lesson, the team was never quite right. People, There's always frustration. We were always butting heads and different things. And looking back, it was primarily because I was just hiring anyone who will do the work. And in the world of construction, that's how people feel they have to, because there's not a lot of construction workers in the United States. But then we made a concerted effort and we made a shift and we actually let most of our company go, probably about 80 employees at this point. And then we hired on 14 recruiters. 14, which is huge for the staff we had. And we really focused on finding the world's best. And When I say the world's best, I truly mean that. We fly people in from other states to come work during the week and we fly them home on the weekend. Another example, one of our employees in 2007, Steve Jobs announces the iPhone. Steve Jobs walks off stage and our employee walks on that same stage following Steve Jobs presentation. It's that kind of caliber of person. And once you do that, the game changes. They unlock Mm -hmm. doors. They make things possible that you didn't know were even possible. And that's, yeah, honestly, that's how we ultimately solve that is bringing on amazing people. And now coming to work is freaking awesome because the people are so
0: good. Yeah, I can imagine. And what kind of leader do you need to be to bring and then manage all of these people together as a team?
1: Yeah. I think that's a great question. There's so much to that. One is a tenacity, and energy, a drive because people will only ever put in 90% of what you put in. <laughs> so make uh-huh. sure you're really driven and showing that. Uh, a willingness to get into the weeds and help p- people solve problems, not blame people for those problems. I think another one is transparency. We do a lot to build a culture and a piece of that culture is being honest with where we're at. It's not always perfect. So we do surveys every six months. We share those results with the whole company, but also I share my personal results to the whole company. In fact, that's what they see first. And starting last year, we started putting those results, the good, the bad, and the ugly up on our website. You can actually go read the gnarly stuff that our own employees have to say about us as well as the good stuff. And I think that is also critical so that we can humbly say, this is where we're at. This is where we want to be. And here's the things that I'm doing to change. And there's some magic in it, too. Because if you try to pretend to be better than you are, the people around you that know you're not become cynical. Hmm. But if you're honest with who you are, those same people become, they they give you grace. And they actually help you try to solve those issues alongside you. So I think those are some of the things that you have to
0: do as a leader to attract the world's best. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think transparency and then brutal authenticity and honesty, right? That's what you're referring to. It makes yeah. people see you as an equal rather than somebody on a pedestal. Uh, exactly. so thank you for Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Now, you very rightly said that the housing market or the construction industry is primed for innovation, right? So can you share what is your vision? What do you see the future of how we live or how, how we build? Uh, and what role do you want to play in that?
1: Yeah, we want to transform the space. Mm -hmm. There's so much that we're working on in this. One example is in design and architecture. In the world of construction, uh, architecture and engineering firms are typically separate companies again. And what are they optimizing for? They're optimizing for the fastest set of plans that meet code and won't fall down. (laughs) But that is not necessarily the optimal design for buildings. And so we have a whole team now that are devoted on like doing dissertations on like Hmm. exactly the right coil steel and exactly how to shape this to optimize for the lowest cost while producing the highest quality. So that's a piece of it. Then we've got, so we spent a lot of time designing the buildings, but I think what needs to be done and where we're headed is our team is working on building out the software infrastructure to design buildings. So they're designing the system that designs buildings. They're not designing them directly. They're designing out things like kits of parts and like components that come together for buildings. The next iteration that we're also currently working on is building out the manufacturing capabilities to build buildings. And there's different companies that do full volumetric construction. I don't know if that's actually the most optimal. We're looking at a variety of different things here, but. Basically, automating more of that construction after you've simplified and, auto- and improved the design phase of it. If Intel, when they're creating their map for chips for computer chips, they've got next year we're doing Skylake, and the year after that we're doing Gemini, and after that we're doing Harrys or something. And they talk about the number of transistors that's going to be in there. They talk about the nanometers that's going to be in each chip. We're starting to think about construction processes that way, where we have. This year is our Gemini version, where we're achieving this level of a cost of value. This is the amount of automation that's going into it. These are the manufacturing plants. This is the supply chain, right? And, and actually breaking that down into a pattern so that we have a clear roadmap of the innovations that we plan to get at each stage to get to that 50% drop in cost.
0: Yeah. And how else will life change for the homeowner or somebody like looking to move cities and getting a new place? So you mentioned the reduction in cost, but how else do you think life will change for people looking to get into new homes in the future? Yeah. So the other side of it is the experience that residents
1: have. So there are technologies, things like smart home tech that gets exciting. Imagine your whole room space connected. There are reasons that doesn't work entirely well because a light switch is a very easy to use feature. But. The areas that I think are being successful are just removing pain points out of your life. It's the little things. It's the having to sign up for internet and now you don't have to do that. It's having all of your bills in one place and not having your utility bills all be separate. Just have one clean bill. It's having personal services at your door. So dog walking services, personal masseuse maybe, exercise facility. But then you have exercise trainers and classes on site as another thing we're exploring just trying any, anything that we can do to make your life just a little bit easier. Those are the things that we're working on from a consumer standpoint. And then also just design. Uh, so we've got people that have worked for major companies like Apple and Tesla and what have you uh, are rethinking the design of buildings, right? Can we build and design a building like Tesla designs a car or Apple designs an iPhone? And so I, oh, our latest projects, I'd say is a huge step in that direction, but some of the new stuff that we're working on behind the
0: scenes is another leap forward. Wow. And I think that's a very refreshing to hear, right? Yeah. And what kind of challenges do you think that will present for you, right? Both outside in the wider ecosystem, but also inside your own organization. So ideas
1: are simple, but execution is really hard. Right. Elon Musk talks about how it's hard to produce a car, but it is 10 to 100 to 1000 times harder to produce the factory that builds the car. And that is hands down, I would say the number one challenge is building out the flywheel, the team, the infrastructure that people are moving effectively and producing at scale. So that is the hardest thing to solve for. Other issues. This is a more recent one, but the rise of inflation has thus impacted interest rates, which as a result have reduced loan proceeds. So banks used to offer, so if you have a $100 million building, they might offer $75 million in a lending. Today, they're offering 50 or 55. And so for us, our costs were maybe 75 or 80 million, but now, and most of the project could be funded by that bank loan. Now it's not the case. Now we've got tens of millions of dollars for each building that we have to fund in new ways. And Uh so it's just, it's not a major issue because it's solvable, but it's just interesting because it's another thing that hits us in the gut that we now need to find a solution for.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and within the organization, what kind of leadership team or what kind of thinking or mindset do you think that you need to create this change in the, because we're talking long-term, right? This is not something which is going to happen in a few years. You're probably thinking decades ahead into the future.
1: Yeah, yeah. So again, the first step there is the caliber of the team. I can't stress that enough. You can create a strategy, you can create a, I don't know, infrastructure and a plan. But if you don't have the best of the best people, it's almost for nothing. Especially at the level that we're trying to change stuff. So the one little tidbit, one thing that we do on a regular basis is we stole this from Netflix, it's called the Keeper Test. But basically, if we review all of our staff on a regular basis, the manager should ask himself the following question. If a particular employee were to quit, how hard would they fight to change the mind of the employee? And if the answer is they would fight tooth and nail to keep them, then awesome, they're the right person. But if it's anything shy of that, then they may not be the right person, not because they're a bad person, but again, we just need such a high caliber person to solve these problems. And so we're always doing that. And that's, it's a scary thing, but it's also a empowering thing. And as a result, the the talent density or the quality of the team keeps getting better. So I think that's the number one thing I think about. But as far as the team, once you have that, then it's about alignment. So it's, okay, what is our end goal? One of our big goals right now is to drive down that cost of construction. Then we just break that into subcomponents. So we have things like the supply chain and materials is one component of that. There is the continuous improvement or it's the way people do work on site. That's another component. Another component is inventing new, new ways that construction is done, new types of materials, like composite materials. And so then you, you break that down into those three components and then you have a team to dedicate each one of them. Oh, yeah. And then you think about one of the core things to think about there is information flow. Because you may have an issue in one part of your organization that somebody else somewhere else needs to know in order to improve it. And a lot of times, unless you're actively thinking about it, The person in this part of the organization, they're just busy. They don't get around to, who do I find to go tell this issue? And so we're building out an infrastructure just to handle that information flow so the right information gets the right person at the right time.
0: Yeah, yeah. And once you hire the best, right, from everywhere, they also demand a lot from their peers, but also from their leadership and management. So what would be some of those challenges that you will have to face that you think to make sure that you fulfill the expectations of These superstars, which
1: are, yeah, I would say one common one that's on many business people's minds would be salary, and the truth is you have to pay top of market, right? So we we say we'll pay top of market salaries. We never want pay or benefits to be the reason why you leave. Now the big concern there from a business leader is that sounds expensive, and it absolutely is. But what we find is the best people outperform the average by two to five to ten times as much. So instead of looking at it on a cost per person basis, if you think about it on a cost per unit produced, those people are actually the least expensive people because they produce so much more. So that's one common thing. That doesn't keep people, but it's just like a prerequisite. I think in order to really keep people, a couple things have to happen. One is you need a compelling vision. So what problem are you trying to solve? What world impact does it have? Because people at this level, They also want to make a world-changing kind of impact. Unless you've got that well nailed down, you know what that is, it's going to be hard for people to jump on board with you. Another part of that is you as the leader, you've got to be the most passionate, energetic about it, right? You've got to have so much energy to it that it convinces the people around you that they're excited to be a part of it. The other part of it is the culture, the environment, the team. A players will not stick around with you if they're sitting around with a bunch of B and C players. And so you've got to have a team of A players. You've got to be weeding out the A minuses, the B pluses. They've got to go so that you've got just an incredible team where they feel like the peers around them are as good or better than them. So they feel challenged to be better. People often join an organization because of what they know of it or their reputation or maybe the charisma of the leader. But they leave because of the interaction with their manager and their coworkers, maybe the leader as well. And so you've got to get that component right mm-hmm. uh, as well.
0: Yeah. And I think one thing which I want to acknowledge you for is as I listen to you, if I do not know that uh, like you run a construction company, I don't think I could ever guess that by the mm-hmm. nature of our conversation. So I want to acknowledge you for what you are doing uh, because at least in the construction space, that's very new. And you're giving examples of Tesla, of Netflix, of Apple. And I think you have something amazing that will maybe take fruit in the future. So that's that's wonderful. That's a, such a delight and a refreshing thing to hear.
1: Thank you for that. I do appreciate that.
0: Yeah, yeah. But if we separate the work part of you, mm-hmm. what other aspects of life pulls you towards them or what completes you? Yeah. Uh, the-
1: big other component to my life is my family. So I have an amazing and incredibly understanding wife. I couldn't do what I do without that level of understanding from her. And then I have two great kids, a three and a five-year-old, both oh. girls. They're so much fun. And I think what I have learned, if, I, if my relationships with my family aren't right, I am almost worthless at work. It's really hard to work at the level you need to do to be successful at work. So it's critical that's in a good place. And so there's certain things that I do. I know I have to in order to keep that right. And one is just coming home, (laughs) making sure I'm home in time for dinner and putting the kids to bed. I can go back to work after that. (laughs) But those two things are really critical. And just spending quality time with them. Another thing that this was an accident, but it's been really powerful is there's been a little bit of an overlap between my kids and my work. And it's actually allowed me to duplicate some efforts And my daughter really wanted to start a YouTube channel and boy, over and over again, I was like, no, I don't believe you. It's a lot of work. That sounds terrible. And eventually she just wore me down. I said, okay, fine. We'll start recording a video. So we started putting videos up on YouTube and that's really started to have some momentum and we were still fairly small, but I'm seeing the exponential growth curve starting to happen. And uh, that's become a powerful thing because it bleeds over into work and building a brand, building a know and trust with an audience. It's become something really fun that my daughter and I get to do, both my daughters and I get to do every week that they really look forward to. So that's been a fun overlap between the two.
0: Yeah. And I can assume that must be very gratifying for you. Yeah. Oh my, it's,
1: they're so excited. Yeah. It's so much fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I loved what you shared earlier on. So just keep coming back home. I think that's such a simple thing and so easy to ignore. You read all for like leadership books and one phrase, just show up, keep showing up. But what you said is just keep coming back home. And I think it's just such a wonderful message that we need to hear that if you can't be for your children or if you can't be like a good father or a good husband, I think leadership is maybe, ha, we can be a little bit hypocritical at times as leaders. So thank you for adding that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. If you were to have anybody as a dinner guest, who would you like that person to be?
1: Man, I've gotten to meet so many cool people.
0: I have not
1: yet met Elon Musk. I think that would be a blast. But I think maybe even more than just Elon Musk, I think it'd be really fun to meet some of his key lieutenants or the people in his organization that made the Tesla Gigafactory a reality. Because as I think forward, I see Norhart is creating the Norhart Gigafactories for construction. And that may not be factories, it may be on site, but just that way of thinking, oh oh man, I would so
0: enjoy having conversations with those people. I love that. I love that you not just mentioned Elon Musk, but also the top people under him. And I think that's so easy to ignore and give all the credit to one person, but it's really a team which is... Delivering whatever that Tesla or SpaceX is delivering. So thank you for... And
1: if they're listening right now, come work for me. Elon's great, but let's come do some cool stuff over here.
0: (laughs) Joking. (laughs) No, I love your ambition. love your humility. And also you're trying to do that in a very traditional industry. Yeah. Yeah. What else? So apart from family, is there anything else that, that that you do, especially when it comes to dealing with pressure, dealing with overwhelm? How do you... Make sure that you are in the right space to lead and to even be with your family.
1: Yeah, so I learned early on in life that the time spent sleeping is well worth it because you're way more effective during the day. So I always make sure that I get the right amount of sleep. Exercise is really critical. So I do a 15-mile run every Sunday and three additional exercises throughout the week. Education is really important. I think the best leaders in the world have a breadth of knowledge and can bring things together from a lot of disparate places. And so I spend about, it sounds extreme, but it's true, about 20 hours a week in education. Now, how do you do that? You do it during, by listening to podcasts and books during a run and exercise. You do it during the car ride and I do it as I'm drifting off to sleep. Those are the uh-huh. three main areas. And so that's a really key aspect. And then I think having that kind of base routine for me, as long as I got those core things set and I'm doing them right, I can live a pretty stable, like mental level, even if I have tough times at work and then on on a fun aside, if I, the thing I enjoy doing for fun is studying quantum mechanics and physics and mathematics. Sometimes I dive into that just for the fun of it.
0: Yeah. And I love your focus on education, right? Because it's, uh, people don't think that, but the most successful people are the, like the most successful athletes are the one who practice the, practice the most, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, 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 but now 250 people, right? So just leading the organization itself is a full-time job. So when you say education, can you elaborate on what is it that keeps you engaged? Is it the technical side of things? Is it the latest innovation? Or is it more about how do you grow? How do you manage your team? How do you lead? How does that play out?
1: I'm usually studying something that I'm struggling with in the business, or I want to just understand deeper. So anything in the business right now, I do have a pretty deep understanding of all the different components, not as good as a core expert on our team, but enough to have a meaningful conversation with anyone at any level is my goal. So recently it's been, since we're doing the YouTube stuff, building an audience there, I've been studying that recently. At a managerial level, one of the things I found really useful recently was multipliers. It's a book, fantastic. It's about how to get, how to structure things that you're actually getting the best out of people. Because if you're just telling people what to do, you're only getting one level of work. But if you capture their heart, their energy, their passion, you're getting so much more. And the key there is understanding what their genius is and shaping the role and putting them in exactly the right spot that matches that nuance of their genius. And what I'm learning about just in practice is that genius really is nuanced. You might think that someone's a marketer. Oh, they're marketing. It's great. No, <laughs> this, might, this guy might be really passionate about the statistics behind marketing. And this guy might be passionate about the, the strategy of how to coordinate different parts of marketing. And if you don't get that quite right, you're really operating at half the level that you could be.
0: Yeah, so those are some of the things that I'm studying recently. Yeah, yeah. And that's a wonderful book, I guess, by Liz Wiseman, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. That's a wonderful book. And the way your eyes lit up and you became animated while describing it, I think it shows that how like really deeply passionate you are about learning, growing, and then implementing it.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you just read something to read something, but you're not internalizing and primarily changing your habits and
0: behaviors, education's mm. worthless. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure we can continue talking like forever, but we also have to wrap this up. So I would like to ask you, entrepreneurship and leading a company, it's also quite challenging. So what advice would you give to somebody who wants to make an impact like you have a vision, but they're struggling with uh, with either getting the right people or even getting in their own skin? That's where we started with, right? You had to get in your own skin first. So what advice would you give to somebody who has a big vision, but they're not really like making progress?
1: Yeah, I think there's this misconception that the most successful people have just got it figured out. They were just born with something that they knew how to do stuff better, what have you. The reality is, and I met a lot. I mean, I've met billionaires. I've met just incredible people that have changed this world. And virtually everyone I meet with has a bit of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do that next level, right? This like mindset that we have. And what's interesting is when we start off life, we're terrible at everything we do. We can't walk. We can't talk. We can't add. We can't do anything. Yeah. But why, as we get older, do we start to think when we start something new that we have to be good at it? And what I've learned really deeply is to be very comfortable in being uncomfortable. Uh Because when you do something new, you're terrible at it. When we started the YouTube channel, our first episode had, I don't know, 10 views or something. Like that's. Okay, that's how it starts. Do you think you get to million views on day one? Heck no. It's through lots of little improvements. And so just being willing to be okay with that and not concerned about what other people are thinking is really the name of the game in my world. I'm a part of a lot of like masterminds with some of the best people in the world in a particular niche. Virtually every mastermind that's the best in the world, they will have a coach in that group that's specifically devoted to mindset, because guess what? All of us struggle with that. All of us struggle with not believing that we're good enough. And so just remember that and that's okay.
0: And you'll be way yeah. better off. Yeah. And a lot of my work is actually dealing with the mindset and getting better with emotions. And yeah. you are exactly right. The best leaders or the most high performing people are the probably the ones who have the biggest imposter syndrome or are dealing with fear or anxiety, but they don't let it stop them or they don't let it disempower them. It's the difference is, do you let it stop you or do you like just become good at it? You embrace it as a part of you. And you also see that as a signal that you're doing something bigger than what your current capacity and that's such a wonderful definition of what leadership is or what growth is. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You uh, hit the nail on the head. That's exactly right. Yeah. And before we end, right, and if anybody who is listening to this and who wants to reach out to you, find out more about you, what is the best way for them to do? so? Yeah, you can visit our website,
1: norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com. And one fun thing we have on there, if you click on shows, is our new podcast called Zero to Unicorn. It's about the journey of small business growing to much larger. And we're actually now just recording season two And one of the The new people I met recently was the originator and executive producer of Batman. He made Batman come to life. And to give you some sense of the tenacity and energy you have to make something like that possible, he spent 10 years hearing no from people before he was able to make it a reality.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think that's also another thing, right? That the best readers surround themselves with those who inspire them. And whom they can be inspired by, But thank you for sharing that. I will make sure that I include those links with the show notes. And as we end, I would like to wish you all the best in this journey of surprises, but also of so much excitement as is visible on your face, in your like whole body, it is clearly visible. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is great. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit, Until next time, keep choosing leadership.